Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast. We are so happy to be with you right now. I might be the happiest of all because it, it's like a good distraction. Well, it's funny. This is a small miracle we were recording this podcast today. So David has been pretty sick the last 36 hours. And I was fully expecting you to say like, oh, let's just move this podcast. And you're like, no, I'm doing the podcast. I'm playing through pain. I am Michael Jordan with the flu back in like the playoffs when he came back and it came back and scored all those points. I don't know why though. I was like, David, this is our podcast. We make the rules. We can just release it on Wednesday. There's no difference. <laughs> no, these rules cannot be broken ever. It needs to be released on Tuesday. Well, it's funny because in the 10 years of being together, I don't think I've ever seen you sick beyond a, stif a sniffly nose. And so this is so strange, but I also feel like you don't know how to be sick. You're like a four-year-old. <laughs> what you're saying is I am a big freaking baby. So what happened is yesterday, I just started to feel like sick to my stomach midday and it got progressively worse and it's still lingering. And fortunately, like it's not appendicitis or anything. It hasn't gotten sharp, hasn't really, there hasn't been that many symptoms other than pain. Um, so I feel like <laughs> the ultimate baby right now. So I'm, I'm going to play through pain and just rock this process. Well, it's funny because this morning you hadn't eaten for about 24 hours and you were so excited to get food. You're like, ah, I think I can do it. I think my appetite, is, I think it's finally <laughs> I didn't, coming back. I didn't have any appetite. I just like, that's how you know something's a big deal for me. I have never missed a meal like in my life and I missed dinner last night. It was a big, big deal. But this morning you're like, okay, I'm ready to start eating food. And I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe we'll start with bananas or rice or applesauce or toast. There's the brat diet for coming back from <laughs> GI symptoms. And it's 6 a.m. And you go into the, the refrigerator and the freezer and you're like, I'm going to have mint chocolate chip ice cream. Yeah, not just it was, any. It was the classic four-year-old move. <laughs> not just any mint chocolate chip ice cream. It was the Amazon brand Happy Belly. So that was my thought. It's like, Happy belly. That's exactly what I need right now is like five servings of mint chocolate chip ice cream. Because like I was so bonked out. Like, I, I don't know. I kind of still am actually. You still, you still, you seemed a lot happier after having the ice cream. But then I proceeded to drag you to go get a COVID test because I was like, you know, if you've never been sick in 10 years since I've known you and you're sick during a pandemic, even though it doesn't cross like many of the COVID symptoms at all, I was like, we still need to Okay. I know. I, I was a grumpy, grumpy little bitch. I got to be honest. Um, but it, that totally makes sense, especially because like I never missed a day of school from the when I started all the way to my senior year of high school when I just started skipping. So Which like, is unbelievable. So I just was never sick. So I get that it's like definitely a weird time to feel weird weird. <laughs> um, I also feel like that goes to show your personality too. And the difference in my personality is I got a letter my senior year of high school telling my parents that I was missing too many days of school. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was going to be a problem. What were you doing? I was playing field hockey. Okay. And I was like doing my, my parents are very flexible with yeah. like mental health days. They're like, ah, you've been working a lot recently. We should go out to lunch. We should have a mental health day. So uh, my parents are very, they would have wanted us to put the, push the podcast back to Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. They're all about the flex rules here. Um, yeah. So we went and got our, our COVID test, my first COVID test. So we're there. I'm not super comfortable with medical procedures. I think you're learning a lot about like my deepest, darkest secrets. Like there's psychologists listening right now that are doing full analyses of me right now. But um, yeah, so Megan gets the first nose swab. Um, the guy comes over, gives it, gives it to Megan, and then goes back to his little like shack or whatever. They looked like they were like ice fishing out there. It was very weird. Um, and then all of a sudden, Megan starts crying her eyes out. I was not crying. So it elicited, it was not painful at all. It just elicited this like tiny eye-watery response in me. And you're like, Megan, you're crying. This is scary. <laughs> the waterworks just started for Megan. It was like, uh, probably the most upset I've ever known. She was just, uh, her eyes were watering, but it was watering in such a way that it was like, I spent, the, I got to spend the next three minutes being like, oh my God, what awaits me? What is my fate here? Um, yeah, and so sure enough, he, he came, swabbed my nose, and it was 
probably the worst experience of the day. I'm not going to downplay it. It was bad. You I were fine. It did not hurt at all. I feel like on the scale of like getting your eyebrows waxed to getting a Brazilian wax, <laughs> it didn't even reach eyebrows. It was even, it was a zero on that scale. So I, maybe now I'm prepared for a Brazilian or not prepared for a Brazilian. I'm you not are gonna... not. Seeing your response to this COVID test, you could never get I wouldn't be good at the gynecologist, would I? No, you would not. You would just not go to the gynecologist. I would, yeah, I wouldn't. I would be so scared forever. I'd be like watching other women come out of the room being like trembling and being like, they just seeing like, if they're not smiling, being like, oh man, this is a nightmare. I was aware of the fact that you're watching me get this nose test. And I was trying to be the best nose role model as I could. I was like, don't make any funny faces. Don't show any signs of distraction. And my damn eyes kept wandering. <laughs> I love it. So episode 33 uh, this is going to be the Jose Canseco episode. Um, lots of fun stuff about Jose Canseco. But um, perhaps the most interesting thing is he originated the Monster Bash with Mark McGuire, the Bash Brothers, where they would bang elbows together. Um, and subsequently, we found out that they were maybe some of the originators of like the heavy steroid use in baseball. Um, he wrote the book Juiced about all these different players, kind of blew the lid off all that. Um, so... Jose Canseco, kind of a mixed bag for the episode tribute. Yeah, totally a mixed bag. So I was going through his Wikipedia page and there's these kind of like a number of his accomplishments that you can scroll through. And then at the bottom of his Wikipedia page, just as long is this tab legal issues and controversies. <laughs> and it just starts into, I think it started somewhere in like 2000 and it just keeps going and going and going. And I was like, holy crap, that's, this is the side effect of steroids. That's probably something you want to avoid on your Wikipedia page. I, I'll have the four-year-old big baby uh, section of my of my Wikipedia page. But yeah, so one of the things I love about Jose Canseco is Lonely Island, who we've talked about before on the podcast, made a uh, tribute to Jose Canseco and Marsh Mark McGuire called The Unauthorized Bash Brothers Experience. It's on Netflix. It's just 30 minutes long. It's kind of amazing. It hits my sense of humor almost directly. I think you've watched it four times at this point. I, it's kind of my comfort show. Um, but basically the Lonely Island guys, the Andy Samberg and uh, the others, they met in Oakland back in middle school around when this was happening. So these are their heroes. Um, and it's all about like the, the drama dramatizing. Uh, I can barely even speak, so cut me some slack, but um, dramatizing that process. And I'm just gonna read like my favorite little verse from that song, from one of the songs. Just hit a three-run ho-ho, but if you want a high-five, that's a no-no. I'm heading home. All my homies at home plate are waiting on me, so I got to do something great. And that's when the arms go up, like we about to drink from a cup, because we a bunch of buff dudes just flexing, acknowledging our feats via human connection. Look at you. You're really vibing. I know. I, that's I, the I, most energy I've seen from the 48 <laughs> hours. I'm going to need to start prescribing this. I was starting, like, and I was just going to read it like a very serious poetry read, and then I was like, man, I got to at least let a little bit of that rap style in there. Um, but well, I love that one because acknowledging our feats via human connection is amazing. But also um, the bash, like where they bashed elbows together, it all made me go down the rabbit hole and read about high fives. I didn't realize high fives didn't start until the 1970s. There's a whole lot of controversy surrounding yeah, high yeah. fives. So there's like four different origin stories of the high fives. Also, the low five has been a staple of African-American communities since like the 1920s as a, as a symbol of solidarity, which I think is super cool. Yeah, but it didn't get up high until later. I mean, the convention, there's a lot of different stories, but the conventional wisdom was that in 1977, um, Dusty Baker, who's now, I think the manager of the Astros, um, hit a home run, his 30th home run, and he gets back to to home plate and one of his teammates is there and Baker said his hand was up in the air and he was arching his back. So I reached up and I hit his hand. 
it just seemed like the thing to do. An addendum, 2021. It was not the thing to do. <laughs> yeah, and during COVID, not the thing to do. But what's so fascinating about that is like, I mean, we've all high five. We just as easily could be monster bashing, bashing our elbows together. So well, maybe in these COVID times, we will be monster Yeah, maybe bashing. that's the next step. That's, that's, that's where we're going. Um, but actually, number 33 episode is the Megan episode, or at least it should be. This was recommended by one of the athletes on the team. Megan, when I first met her, was number 33 streaking all around the field hockey field as fast as like a little dart. Um, and so that was her number during field hockey. Where'd that come from? What's yeah, well, so it's funny. So I was number nine growing up. So always loved playing soccer. That was my sport. Mia Hamm was number nine. So I think like Every every soccer girl like my age wanted to be number nine. It's kind of like the men wanted to be 23 in basketball for yeah, Michael yeah, Jordan. Ex exactly. Um, and so I wound up not being able to play soccer anymore. I had um, apophysitis or like um, kind of messed up both of my hips. And so I had to switch over to playing field hockey. Mm -hmm. And in my transition to playing field hockey, I was a freshman on the team and the freshmen got to pick their jerseys last. And all of the low numbers were gone. I think number nine was taken first. <laughs> and so 33, I was like, oh, three by three equals nine. I'm going to be 33. And it just, I just, it was superstition at that point. And I rolled with it the rest of my I career. I love looking at those pictures of you from freshman year because you were the smallest person at that point. I can't imagine, like, how did 33 even fit on you? Like those two numbers, I feel like it must have wrapped all the way around your back. Well, wrapped all the way around. And then in field hockey, you have to wear skirts. I don't understand why they make you That's wear so skirts wild. in field hockey. It's stupid. But I also got a very large skirt. And so like, you couldn't <laughs> even see the 33. It just kind of looked like twos at that point because the, the ends were cut off because it like it was tucked into the skirt that came up so high. It was a disaster. You looked like a very athletic ghost kind of in all those pictures. You know, like when there, there's like the, the sheet covering them all and you're just like skirting across the field and and to give perspective on how how good megan is now i mean so she was recruited and all that stuff she she'll hate when i say that but just how good she is now we had a little kitty basketball hoop in our house and we have a field hockey ball, uh, ball and stick and we just got it and megan hasn't picked up a field hockey stick in a while when she does this she just scoops the ball starts dribbling it in the air i don't even know what she would call it. juggling it in the juggling. air so juggling across like crossing over, then comes up to the basketball hoop and just dunks the crap out of the field hockey ball. And I was like, what did I just see? How is that humanly possible? Well, I was pumped that was your reaction. I thought your reaction was the fact that I was about to break a window in oh. the process. And you were actually pumped about my field hockey stick. Yeah, and I, mean, I was like, I chose the right man. <laughs> if you broke a window from that, whatever that was, like I would want to frame that window. That was remarkable. Um, and yeah, and then last Friday, using the field hockey field hockey stick we couldn't find our wiffle ball bat so for it's wiffle ball friday we have to play wiffle ball every friday we have to play wiffle ball so we go out um and we play with field hockey stick and tennis balls and of course megan hits first and just nails the crap out of every single one over and over and i'm like this is easy this is awesome i can do this i was a baseball player i got recruited for baseball actually so i get up there i'm like oh yeah i'm gonna show off it's like just a bump, bunch of buff dudes just flexing, acknowledging our feats via human connection. And I get up and just swing and miss and swing and miss and swing and miss. Well, I started laughing at you. Yeah, I yeah. was like, this is hilarious. I was, but then I stopped laughing because someone- well, I was not laughing. Somewhere around Miss 50, yeah. I was like, I actually really, really want you to hit this right now. I don't know what happened. I feel like- Well, it was a statistical anomaly. Did you just close your eyes? Yeah, I was like- you should be making, like the field hockey stick has a decent amount of surface area. Like statistically, you should be making connection with this ball. So my sci very scientific theory is that back when I played baseball, I had muscle and now I don't. So the loss of biceps somehow just short-circuited something in my brain. That is ultimate man excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the day, I had muscle. Well, no, <laughs> I feel like I've, I've maybe lost some of that man card. I definitely did when you were laughing at me. There was a moment there where like my, uh, 
I don't know. I felt like my testosterone dropped to like three points at, at when you were laughing at me, but it was good for, it was good for my humility because I'll always remember just standing there and whiffing at that field hockey ball. Um, but on the way back, uh, from, from field, from that, uh, wiffle ball game, Megan, I was talking to her about field hockey and she was telling me about this story of, of practicing. And so in, in field hockey, they do corners where it's a really weird setup, right? Yeah. So essentially what it is, is you, you take a shot. So someone, you know, if, if there's a penalty in the game, um, the, when you receive a penalty, you take a shot at the top of the circle and someone flies out at you as fast as they can, as you're taking the <laughs> shot to try to stop it, which again, it's like field hockey. Why did you design it? This seems really like ill-advised. sport. <laughs> um, and so anyway, so I was taking what's called a drag flick at the top of a circle where you essentially you drag your stick and you launch the ball into the air. And instead of launching the ball into the air, I unfortunately hit, we were playing an intra-squad scrimmage. Whoa, 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 now's the time that I step in. What Megan said when she was telling me this story about her teammate is her head hit the ball. And I was like, Megan, I don't think that's the way it works. Okay. Her head did not hit the ball. The, words, the ball hit her head. Okay, so this is how it went down. In the words of my coach, her head did hit the ball. Okay. So in field hockey, what you're supposed to do as you're flying out is you're supposed to put the stick, you're supposed to essentially remove your body from the path of the ball. And this girl ran right at me. I don't really but think still, that's possible. I mean, it was horrifying for me. So she wound up getting 63 stitches in her head. It was horrible. I like made all, I made 63? her all, it was a lot of stitches. That's a lot of stitches. A lot of stitches. And so I made her a care package. Like I called her every day. It was like this very, I worried about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. But anyways, so after this happened, my coach called a penalty, but he called it on her because her head hit the ball <laughs> and he made me take the same shot again with someone flying at me. And it was, it was traumatic. It was very scarring, but he made me do it again 50 times. And it actually like, he was afraid that I was going to get the yips and not be able to drag luck again because yeah. I hurt this girl. That's so interesting. I feel like your, your care package probably had a Hallmark card that said, shrink your head, girl, <laughs> <laughs> watch your face. Um, yeah, it's actually really interesting to think about the yips too. A, that would be a great topic for the podcast at some point. Like, um, when athletes do that, I feel like your coach probably saved you from like, maybe something that could have been disastrous. It was an interesting strategy, but I mean, it, I mean, I was out there probably, so it took about 30 minutes to get this girl off the field. It was horrible. It was awful. And you know, then it took basically this ordeal took the entire practice yeah. because then I had to take 50 drag flips. And you had to clean the all the blood off the it field. Was, it was a disaster. It's something that like still haunts my memories to this day. <laughs> well, if that girl's out there listening, I hope, hope you're okay. Um, okay. And to end the intro, I just wanted to briefly, uh, mention a quote from an athlete in their training log. Um, I mentioned after this athlete did really well at a 50 K that it was their 1000 day anniversary. It just happened to be when they raced the 50 K. Um, and the response back was something I will always remember. And I would love everyone to think about their own athletic and personal growth. 1000 days. That's really cool. Maybe after 2000 or 3000 will be an overnight success. And I love that. I love that. The because grind. That's what in the overnight success is like, it always involves that long-term grind. And it's just that people see it all at once usually. And I think what's cool about the training log is you have like tangible feedback. Like you can go and unlock the beginning of the training log and see this grind play yeah. out. And I think it's something that's very cool. Well, I also love doing control F on different words in the training log. So like- Oh, the F-bombs? You do control F on F-bombs on my logs? And oh it's my like, God. Oh, it lights up. Well, something came out, I saw somewhere that- Cursing is a sign of intelligence. Is it right? really? Yeah, there's like an ar an article came out. Oh, like a hot podcast. damn. Yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. Let's get to topic one. So topic one is on relationships. I love this topic. It's from EL. Here's a question on relationships. My partner and I are both endurance athletes, mostly running, some cycling, for sure, subtly and napping, and love hitting the roads and trails together. 
It's where we've had some of our best conversations and most joyful memories. It's where we support each other when I bike pace him and he run paces me. However, our goals are starting to diverge. And as a result, so is our training. And with busier lives outside of sport over the next few years, we will likely have to go solo or with others more often than with each other. What do you do to what do you two do to purposely connect and share quality time together outside of doing a run or bike and outside of the everyday things like working from home in the same house? Running is such a big part of our lives and what we usually rely on for time of reflection and connection. So looking for other creative ideas as we may not be able to use it in the way that we do so often. You did so good reading that. I thought you were gonna wrap it like I tried to deal with the uh, the Lonely Island quote. Whew. Well, it's funny because we kind of just like copy and paste these in, and I was like, we probably should have transcribed this one. Well, that's also a beautiful question. That quite, oh my gosh, that it was. Really... I love the way that this was written and just the the underlying point of this question. And I think it brings up a lot of like good things that are talk about good things to talk about with relationships in general. Like we see all the time that people feel pressure, particularly athletes in relationships to do a lot of this stuff together. Like that this is, if they don't do it together, they're somehow inferior to the people that do. Um, so the first thing I'm going to say is like, it's highly individual. Like, I mean, at least for us, we'll go in periods where we've done training box where we do every run together. We've done training box where we do almost no runs together. And I mean, I think there's a lot of meaning in both, right? Like it, when we do, when we don't do them together, we come back and we talk about them. Absolutely. And I think together is something that's like interestingly defined. Like you could define together as whether we're grouped together on Strava as yeah. runs matching, but a lot of times we will start runs together and you'll go off and do surges and like in the middle of the long run, or we'll, we'll do separate workouts and come back together for the, for the cool down. And I feel like we just have a number of different variations for how we actually structure running together. Or that run in the mountains in Colorado this summer where you felt pretty good and just dropped me on the climb. <laughs> we were still grouped we together were, on Strava. We were grouped together. I, I guess Strava doesn't measure 30 meter increments. Like that's how far you were ahead. You know, so like, yeah, I mean, running is not sex. You not, not need to do it with the other person all the time. Um, and I think that the, the question is really healthy because, of, you know, having your own goals and embracing that part of the process of being an athlete is where a lot of the joy comes, you know, like, I think if you, it almost can become a crutch where you're like, I need to run with the, my partner or with anyone to, for it to be meaningful. And so, you know, exploring that on your own is, I think can be really helpful. I think some of the most transcendent runs I've had have been just like going out there in our backyard, our backyard trails, plugging in headphones, like feeling so connected to the trails, the world, feeling like just being amazingly solo out there. And I think that's a great thing. And I also love our runs together and it's nice to really have that conversation. Yeah, and so I would just say like, have like really open communication about it. I mean, Megan knows that if I ask her to run or she asked me to run, the other person can just say, hey, I just need my time today. Because like running is one of these moments that it is truly just in your head. It is you. It is your experience. And it's so cool to share with someone. It is also so cool to not share with someone. And so that's great. Um, I think the other thing too is, is that we have a number of different things that we do together outside of running. And yeah. it's so fun. And these aren't things that are like these like fancy Pinterest dates or anything like that. Like I just enjoy going to the grocery store with you and finding like last week we went to the grocery store and found dinosaur shaped macaroni and cheese. <laughs> and it was like the coolest night ever. Well, actually, I remember a lot of our initial dates were we, we always used to look for more unique fruit. We would go to like the fancy grocery stores. Unique is a good euphemism. Yeah, yeah. There's some really phallic looking fruit out there. I mean, that's that it's really the the takeaway of the beginning of our relationship. And I don't think we have this all figured out, but I think the other thing too is is when we're doing these things together, like grocery shopping or going hiking or like eating dinner together and just like being there, I think like we both tried to really focus on turning our phones off and just like being present in the moment with or each other. Or podcasting, you know. Yeah. And I mean that really gets to the question is like how can you 
facilitate this time together. And the, the, the questioner mentioned, you know, working for us, we found that that's not really, that doesn't really count as time together as much as like other things. Like it just doesn't, you know, we're, we're not really well, we're like, we're there, there in the same room, but it's like, we're not, I mean, at least my brain is not together oh, yeah. with your and, brain when we're working. And we're doing, impossible. you know, by definition, we're like, thinking about other things or being present for other people. And that's great. But I think the actual intimacy of the the being together part, like actually being together is so key. And we sometimes we have like a catchphrase that when we're with each other, it's like, okay, it's present time. Yeah. Like we are present with each other. And I, I think for me, it's like this helpful, like hearing that word is this helpful switch to my brain. And it's like, we're turning off the work mindset. We're turning off the podcast mindset. Granted, a lot of our conversations are very similar. To yeah, the yeah, it's the, same exact it's the same exact thing. But it's like that time to be present together is something that's so valuable. Yeah. So, um, you know, everyone is different, but for us, like, you know, work is work for the most part and don't try to like put pressure on yourself, just like you're not putting pressure on yourself with running. But then after we sign off, it's like dinner is sacred time. You know, we often will do like reading or baths or whatever. Um, and then TV is so fun. And while we're watching TV, we'll stop and like talk about it. Um, speaking of, watch mythic quest episode five that's like a random recommendation to throw in it's just a standalone episode that's amazing on apple plus um and you know like but while watching that episode the reason it jumps to mind is we would just pause it and be like okay what that is like so meaningful like let's experience this together and i think it's like those elements of the day-to-day -day life that are so fun with you and then every once in a while i get to this space and i'm like let's do something crazy yeah. let's have a wild date so for example on sunday i had been working a lot of sunday and sometimes i struggle working on weekends i feel like it just puts me in an interesting mind space and i was like we need to go do something really adventurous <laughs> and fun and i just had that vibe and so we went for a moonlight hike and it was special and cool and something different and i feel like i thrive off of having those things that we get to do together that are routine and we're present and then also those things that are just like wild and crazy and yeah. spontaneous. Yeah, so we don't know shit about yeah, this, we're right? Yeah, this all Yeah, and, and who knows where it'll be in the future and everyone's different. But I would just say like having the comfort to let the other person know that like you you want to be there with them when you're there with them. Like, and that for me at least, if that's 10 minutes, often that fills my soul cup to the very top. And having the comfort too, to be there in conflict. Yeah, like, that's I think true. like relationships often need some element. And we've seen this in an athlete asked, athletes. An yeah. athlete asked about this last week in their log just to like talk about fights. And I mean, we're not psychologists, so we can't talk about it. But <laughs> with me, I have not gotten a fight with anyone in my whole life basically other than Megan. Um, and for me, that's the ultimate sign of love. You know, like it's not, not I mean, we're talking about fights. We're just talking about like, bickering, like yeah, yeah. normal, you know, arguments that are common in relationships. And I mean, I think it probably is just a byproduct of intimacy and, and time together. Um, but I think we grow, I mean, I think our relationship has grown so much from that because yeah. it's like, I learn a lot about you. I learn about your communication styles. Like it's healthy for me. If you can't tell, like this, I like need that. I need to be able to have that conflict to share like what's going on in my feelings and all of that. And I think it's been something that's been well, really yeah, like, for us, you know, fights with forgiveness, but probably also, you know, runs with forgiveness, like everything with forgiveness, like that, that constant, like touchstone and relationship. Oh, is so key. Yeah, I agree. I love that. But I think it's, for me, it comes down to the, the, the point that I know that your intentions are so amazing Yeah. and that grounds everything you do. So even if there's something that's annoying or something that like bothers me, it's like, okay, your intentions are good. And that, that to me is grounded. Yeah. So basically if you're in a relationship and you know, every relationship is different, but um, however your relationship is different can be so beautiful in its own way. Um, and that could include, that could include fights. It could include never running together. It could include like all these different things. And just to like, try to cut yourself so much slack in that process, because everyone is just trying to figure out as they go. Everyone has so many complications. Like, you know, I think on the podcast, we might present, 
you know, as like a, as a couple that hasn't figured out, we do not. Um, and we're, we're still doing that all the time. So wherever you are, it's, it's awesome. And it's going to work. What is that, topic two? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So topic two is on doubles. This is from N. I got about three and a half hours from when my first end run ended to when I started my double. Is that adequate? Since I work out at lunch around 1130 and my best time to double is before kids get home, it is usually three and a half to four hours between doubles. Is this okay? Great question. And we're going to broaden this out to talk about doubles generally. Um, so basically, what are doubles first? Just two activities in one day. Um, it, this is a hallmark of basically every sport. Well, it's funny. I think back to preseason and field hockey, we were doing three days out yeah. there. I mean, yeah. don't do three days of running, but you know, many sports. Some, I mean, some Kenyans do, some Kenyan training yeah. groups do. Um, and, uh, you know, super common in swimming, football, uh, running, basically anything you think of. And then doubles might be just like two easy runs or workout in a double. And or it doesn't even have to be, it can be a run and then a bike. It could yeah. be, you know, a run and then a hike. Like there's a, a lot of different definitions of what doubles can be. And then they could get super advanced too. Like uh, an article in International Journal of Sports Science and Coaching looked at the Ingbertson brothers, their workouts, and they often do double lactate threshold stimuli. So, uh, you know, threshold workouts in the morning, threshold workouts in the evening, um, really optimizing the area under their curve. And that kind of builds off of Canova blocks, which, um, you know, our AM and PM workouts, like we often have our athletes do Canova blocks before big, big, big races, particularly male athletes. Um, and it all harnesses like the possible benefits of doubles, which are really hard to summarize, um, in a certain way, but we're going to break down four of them to start and then get into how to maybe work these into your training if you want. And I think the first benefit is the fact that you just get increased aerobic development from building the volume. And it's much, much easier in my perspective to build volume through doubles than it is yeah. through singles. Like if you think about it conceptually, you know, running 10 miles at once, it's it's a lot easier to run six in the morning and four in the PM or 14 miles, eight in the morning, six yeah. in the PM, whatever it may be. Well, I mean, if you're thinking about a hundred mile week, let's say that's 15 miles a day, a 10, five double is much more sustainable than someone doing 15 mile singles all the time. Like I, I usually that 15 mile singular will probably regress actually due to breakdown. Um, and so that's kind of the basic idea there. What co the, the complicated thing is what actually goes into aerobic development. Aerobic development is this incredibly complicated uh, stew of different elements. And so what, what are we measuring? Are we measuring, okay, their heart rate gets up for this amount of time, that's a good thing. Or are we measuring more complex physiological mechanisms? Um, and that's where topic two is. So there are theories about hormonal and protein expression stimuli. So changes at the cellular and systems level involving the endocrine system and how um, particularly cells and muscle fibers work. There's a 2008 study in the Applied uh, Physiology of Nutrition and Metabolism Journal. I stumbled on that a little bit because it broke lines. But um, and probably because you have no glycogen in your system right now. <laughs> I know. It's like I'm, I'm breaking the rules of our, of our uh, training philosophy. Um, so that there, by doing two things at once, you might actually have something that is greater than the sum of its parts. Like there might be more benefit that you would get if you just did all of the stimulus at once. That, who knows exactly why that is, um, but it's something that we do see in how athletes actually train. And I think what's really interesting about that is it's hard to tell where the arrows of causation yeah. are. So it's like, is it this aerobic stimulus that's boosting this hormonal and protein expression? Is it the hormonal protein expression that's impacting the aerobics? Like, I feel like there's just, it's Or just so something hard. else entirely, you yeah, know, exactly. like genetic, epigenetic switches, like environment, environmental causes and things like that. Um, and then maybe a, even a step up in another advanced reasoning is that when you do a double, there is just inherently more glycogen st stress on the system because as you, you know, exercise once in the morning or whatever, you're going to, um, cause some glycogen depletion that needs glycogen recovery. And then there are studies, including one in the journal of applied physiology that finds increased 
in, enhanced gene transcription related to adaptation in these states. Um, it, it could in, improve uh, adaptation across the board, but without underfueling because you're still trying to fuel. But what I think is interesting is a lot of these studies have been done on male athletes. Yeah. And I think when you look at glycogen availability, there's a ton of differences between male and female athletes. And I think we should draw this out in an episode even further. Yeah. And the idea being that you're not underfueling, you're still trying to recover all your glycogen. But even if you get back from your run and eat a pizza, often you're still making it up, you know, it, it, burns off quickly, but refills the digest when you're thinking about glycogen. And I think the final point to end the benefits is just the overall decompression that you get. So I've seen athletes working busy jobs. Sometimes it's really nice to end the day with a PM double, um, just kind of like clear out the system. If you've been sitting in Zoom all day, it's just nice to like wake up the legs in that way. Yeah. And that connects to the downsides too. It, it can be elevated stress, not a stress release. Not, one, from the increased volume. So, you know, you're enhancing injury risk at the same time, but two, from just the risk of burnout, because like, you know, Sports are great, but doing sports all the time can be a lot. Which I think leads to the, the idea of time constraints. So yeah. I think like for me, if I do a, a double after 5 p.m., I often have difficulty sleeping at night. And yeah. I've seen that in other athletes too. It's you really sometimes have to make that p.m. double easy so you can actually sleep at night. The other thing is showering. Man, it's a, it's hard to shower multiple times per day. Or the other option is just to stink all day. And that's kind of the option I choose. <laughs> I'm, I'm fully embodying that right now. The listeners can imagine. And then you just might be more sore. And so you're not getting as much out of your workouts volume is not is not the best thing ever you know i like across the board so i think i see that particularly in athletes who do late doubles so like a 6 p.m double and then are yeah. running early in the morning at like 6 a.m and it's just i feel like it's hard to recover between that interval of time great so our guidelines uh one four plus hours between doubles is ideal for glycogen recovery that that amount of time is really good to start that process without necessarily like you know being uh, impossible in the context of your life. And then speaking of starting the process, one great way to start is adding a double on a workout day because it stacks all of that stimulus at once and can be a good time to work. Into yeah. Stress process. stacking. Plus you might get some of the hormonal benefit to increase the adaptation from the workout itself. Um, then double to increase aerobic stress. So after you double on workout days, you can start adding doubles on just purely easy days. Um, that can, that can increase your volume overall. But I think another key point is to avoid doubling off of long runs because then on long, on long runs, you, you run the risk of, you know, fully depleting your glycogen stores and then, you know, running the risk of injury or just not in hormonal and endocrine impacts and nervous system impacts. Um, and then biking doubles is a great way to do this. If you're injury prone or don't want to run all the time or anything like, you know, this is, it's a great way to get some of the hormonal benefits without perhaps some of the impact related risks. Well, I think this is just such a fun topic. It's a fun way to kind of like play around with training, yeah. spice it up. And that's and what it's about. A second time per day. Play. Um, so we love you guys. Rate, review, subscribe. Woohoo. Thanks everyone. Bye.